Hello, and welcome to episode six of the Crafting Cluster podcast, a show all about marketing your wine brand in the digital age. I'm your host, Heather Danitz, a photographer and social media consultant based in Santa Barbara wine country. We have a very special guest on today's episode, my friend, Simon Mitchelson, a fellow millennial woman in the wine industry who I've had the immense pleasure of getting to know in the last year. Today, we're talking all about how wine brands can successfully market to millennials and Gen Z, how we can become more inclusive as an industry, and how millennials, wine, and social justice are no longer things that can be separated. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time to talk with me today. Hi, Heather. I mean, it's really just like catching up with one of my friends. So thank you for having me. Exactly. I know. I'm so excited that you are going to be on the show and that we get to talk. It's just another excuse for me to hang out with you virtually in this pandemic. Yeah. Still coming on to a year. How absolutely insane is that? Man, what a time to be alive. Dude. <laughs> what a time to be inside and alive. Inside and alive, exactly. Uh, well, before we dive into the topic of this episode, will you first tell us a little bit about yourself and your history in the wine industry in particular? Yes, of course. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Simone Mitchelson. I have really been in the wine industry now overall since. I was 18, so 10 years. Um, I got started in Auckland, New Zealand, working in bars and restaurants. Like I suppose you could call them fine dining, high flutin, um, in a really um, crazy, hectic time to be in Auckland with the Rugby World Cup starting. It, it, there was a huge international tourism scene, so I really got thrown into the deep end, um, and it's really the chaotic nature of this industry that was so enthralling and um, why I've kind of stuck to it for so long. I feel like production is, was like the next step in my career after being a part of like a high intense bustling restaurant scene for five years of my life and then transitioning into production. So my first harvest was on Waiheke Island in New Zealand, um, making some, Bordeaux varietals, about 20 tons at harvest, and a very small team, Stony Ridge Vineyard. From there, I moved to Northern California to work first for Poseidon and Obsidian Ridge Winery in Carneros and um, Lake County. And afterwards, Flowers Winery in Healdsburg, which was my dream winery. And it was such an incredible experience to work for a team that um, was so pro female empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I did one last harvest in Tasmania as an intern and then moved to the Central Coast where I took a general management position um, for a winery in Santa Barbara County. And I am now the South Coast Estate Manager for Jackson Family Wines in the Central Coast. Yes. I am so – I was so happy to hear that you – took that job on. Cause I, I mean, speaking of millennials, which is the topic that we're going to be diving into today, I feel like 
Cambria Winery in particular does a, a really good job of reaching millennials uh, and and kind of wearing their values on their sleeves. So mm-hmm. I'm I was so excited to I love working with them uh, just as a brand in photography and I was so excited to hear that you took that that role on with Jackson Family Winery because uh, I think that they're they're progressing pretty quickly, which is really wonderful. Absolutely. And it's something that I was definitely one of those absolute haters that was like, oh no, Kendall Jackson, Gallo. (laughs) Like it's like big corporations, you know, they're scary to millennials. We want to support the little guy. And in my mind, I was just like, um, I had a specific vision of what JFW was and is. Mm -hmm. And then after doing research, I, man, the Jackson Family Wines is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't talk about impact in the wine industry when it comes to like climate change, renewable energy. Look at all the female winemakers that work for them and have been working for them. Like it's not, oh, 2020 rolled around and we're talking about empowering black people. We're talking about empowering women and black women yeah. specifically. Um, but Jackson Family Wines has been, this has been a part of like their company culture for a long time. Granted, diversity yeah. and inclusion might be something that's still relatively new and on the forefront of um, their mission mm-hmm. as of late. But it's still like when you're talking about progressive wine companies, this is like from from an organization that's this big. I mean, they're mm-hmm. definitely... I think Gallo's what, like a hundred million cases. Yeah. Kendall, Kendall Jackson. Jackson Family Wines is five million. So it's just yeah. not really the same ballgame. But it's it's something that they've been dedicated to since the beginning. Their their land use property lawyers initially. And now they're like essentially like property investment. So Yeah. Yeah. Um what a what a Jackson family <laughs> plug! Yeah, um, big ass. We're, we're not sponsored by Jackson family. We're not. Do this. Um, yeah, I'm just a believer, and yeah. it's it's like what you said, Mark. Like millennials talking about what what means something to us and moving forward. I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. about this between you and myself so many times. So to now talk about it on your podcast is just like, it's like we've come full circle. Like it's something that's always been a part of our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're, we're putting it to press. Yeah, it's exactly. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to uh, start this podcast is in part, you know, because I felt like wineries didn't have enough access to good marketing advice. Uh, but I also wanted to bring the conversations that I was having privately with my friends and peers. Uh, I wanted to bring them out in the open because I think that they're important conversations to share. Um, and especially, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about more than just marketing to millennials. We're going to be talking about sharing our values and, and the importance of the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement within the and how it relates to the wine industry. And these are very incredibly important conversations to be having and to to have to have you talking about them uh, because this is something that we talk about, as you said, we talk about privately all the time. I think that's really awesome. And I'm so excited to dive into it. Me too. <laughs> 
Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, (laughs) So, um, so I do have a little bit of a story. Uh, There's, I mean, I was reading this awesome article in Wine Enthusiast in preparation for this conversation. Uh, And one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, that wine, that millennials have sort of killed a lot of things in terms of the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember the first iteration of Batonage Forum, which uh, if anyone listening hasn't heard of that, it is a women in wine forum that was founded in Napa. Um, so the first iteration of that in 2018, we were kind of nearing the end of the conversation that day and a woman at the back stood up and yelled, millennials are ruining the wine industry. Oh my God. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, there was, uh, naturally, um, you know, a lot of uproar as half of the folks that were at this, uh, in attendance at this conference were millennials, uh, whether they wanted to identify that way or not. Um, and and what's so funny is that th- at this point in 2018, uh, because there was so much like shit talking about millennials, it was really hard for me to identify as one, even though like technically I fall within, you know, that that generational um, field of what is it, ni- uh, 1981 to like 1996. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh and and i think a lot of a lot of people at that conference were feeling the same way that you know we don't want to identify as millennials but as soon as this this woman who i believe was within the baby boomer generation uh which i know that that term can also be triggering <laughs> um can uh, you know w- when she stood up and said that i think it, like we collectively as millennials whether we identified as millennials or not kind of stood up and were like, how dare you? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so um, to make a long story short, my question for you, Saman, is how would you, how would you have responded to that? uh, If, if this person were to stand up and, and say this now, millennials are ruining the wine industry. How would you respond to that? Well, (laughs) I I have I I feel like I've come a long way um, personally <laughs> with how I would have responded to this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would have caught me like ten years ago, I would have raged and been like, <laughs> "You have no idea like what you're talking about," um, mm-hmm. which I still kind of feel that way. But <laughs> in my mind now, I like have to process, take a deep breath, um, and try to understand why she feels that way. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, when you're looking at the core of it, what would you define as ruining? Like, why do you believe that millennials are ruining the industry? What indicates that to you? Yeah. Personally, if you're talking about perhaps trends moving away from purchasing wines like Camus and the Screaming Eagle and Harlan, like all of these massive institutions that have existed in Napa. Okay look at how we're moving forward. Like that was, that was baby boomer heaven, you know, like Mm -hmm. going to Napa, engaging with all like these big fancy wineries and participating in this incredible culture 
which would have been incredibly exciting as it was really like the precipice of something massive in this country. And after a time that alcohol was illegal, you know, like obviously that was further down the line and prohibition was in the twenties, but we have always had this culture in the United States that treats um, any kind of booze as taboo. Mm -hmm. So here we are like Robert Mondavi, we're embracing Napa Valley and it turns into this incredible industry that nobody could have really anticipated the scale. But fast forward now, like, okay, we're 60 years in, right? Mm -hmm. 2020 millennials were coming into our um, more financial success, I suppose you could say, like we're coming into the years that we'll have more stability. We've been in our careers for a couple of years, maybe again, like, this is all very general because personally, like I don't feel like I'll be financially stable in my life <laughs> for a while yet, but it's also the way that I buy. So personal problem, but <laughs> it's millennials too. Like we're not going to Napa and investing a hundred dollars in these bottles that have history and acclaim. Where are we looking moving forward? We're looking at smaller businesses. We're looking at, if we're talking specifically about wine, we're talking about how are they sourced if you don't mm-hmm. have your own estate? Are the farming practices sustainable? How are you treating farm workers? Like, where are there, do you donate to charities? Is there a percentage of this bottle that goes towards X, Y, and Z? You know, we mm-hmm. care way more about the ethos of a business now then it's whether it has like 95 plus points from Robert Parker. So yeah. that's what she means by ruining the industry is our, our focus is much different than that of our predecessors. I wouldn't call that ruining. I would call that it's, it's progressive change. And ultimately Um, I think this creates a good opportunity for wineries to really show what they believe in and to be transparent. You know, like if you're treating your work as well, you should be proud of that. People want to support you and give you more money and pay that extra dollar for your wine because they believe in your products and they can see that you care about more than just capitalism. So personally, that's how I feel about standing up and, and yelling that millennials <laughs> are ruining the industry. Um, but we just, I, people, there's, there's no, there's no going back. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, we're only going to be spending more and more. And, you know, you shouldn't just be looking at millennials. You should be looking at Z- Gen Z too. Yeah. Because what's, what's the oldest member of Gen Z now? Around 24. It's not, they're not far up from, from us. And when it comes to global population, I, I, I read the same article, I think, that you were talking about in Wine Enthusiast about millennials and Gen Z saving the wine industry, ironically enough, is what that that title of that article was by yes. Amber Lucas. And it was incredible. Yes. Shout out, Amber. Um, but she also talks about how like the projected expenditure of millennials in 2020 was $1.4 trillion. And... Gen Z is not far behind us. If anything, we both generations account for about 33% of global population. So 
we are now the majority collectively. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you made a really good point that, you know, it's not that we're we as millennials are are necessarily spending less. It's that we're choosing very carefully how we do ch- spend our money and and being mindful and and voting with our dollars, if you will. Totally. On we're choosing to support wineries and businesses in general, not just wineries, but we're choosing to spend our money with with companies who uphold our values and and share the same values as us. Uh, which actually brings me to my next question is, you know, why why is it important for wineries to uphold and share their values on social media? What is the benefit of that? Well, okay. So in preparation for this podcast, I was reading this consumer culture report from 2020. And I'm looking at this um, quote right now. So I'm just going to read it to you. It says 71% of millennials will pay more for a product if they know some of the proceeds go to charity, meaning brands have the opportunity to create a positive corporate identity and increase sales if done correctly. So it also, this report goes on to talk about social media and the impact of influencers and how the people that we follow, we, we follow people who align with our beliefs. So if you follow someone who presents this bottle of wine and perhaps they feel the same way about, you know, they vote the same way, you know, like just along those lines, like they represent the same values that you believe in and they are now representing this product. You're more likely to believe that the company behind this product aligns with your beliefs as well. Yeah. So, for a culture that is now so driven on the internet, like Gen Z has never existed without the internet. Like, think about that. That is crazy. Like, I remember sitting in front of our desktop at home in like the corner little office because we had to seclude our computer because it was like such a magical experience to be able to sit and dial up and listen to this thing, try to connect and <laughs> have a messenger and talking to my friends on there. Like it was such a revelation. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, we're rich. Like this is amazing. Um, but Jen's taking me back. It's just, it's so wild. So to think that like that generation has never known outside of that. It's this again, it's just inevitable progression. Um, so that being said too, now, if you're looking at your business moving forward with the times, you have to look at who the next generation of buyers are, mm-hmm. which Gen X, great. You know, I've been looking at like who invests mostly in wine clubs and currently that's boomers and Gen X yeah. because of obvious reasons. <laughs> um, the next buyers, millennials and Gen Z. Now your marketing efforts, they're going to have to, here's that word that we used all 2020, pivot. <laughs> it has to. So how are you going to capture our attention? It's it's clear from anything that we buy. It's not just wine. It's when you're looking for um, skincare products or mm-hmm. if you're looking for 
um, hair care, wellness, you're looking at where these products come from. Like me personally, and you know, our friend Justin Trabio, she's like the perfect example. Mm-hmm. She hasn't bought off Amazon for nearly two years. Wow. I did not, I did not know that. She has been, oh my gosh, she just above and beyond with not contributing any money to Jeff Bezos. But she also like, she posts it everywhere on her social media to uh, like, just blow up these people who are doing an incredible job of, for one, promoting like smaller black artisans. There's a website, a natural marketplace called um, Black and Green. Mm -hmm. And it's an all natural marketplace by black artisans, bath and body, menstrual care, home decor, hair care, like it it just has everything. Um, But it's somewhere that like you can order products outside of this one stop shop called Amazon. So it's just like, it's being intentional and we are intentional with our purchases. So I know I've gone off on like six different tangents. No, that's right. That's all of this is important. It's just, it's the truth. If you're, if you're moving forward with the times you have to be able to, I mean, just be transparent. Yeah. You're it's, it's also inevitable that you're going to attract the people who align with your company, whether it be like, maybe your thing is cool labels Mm -hmm. and people see your label on a shelf and they're like, okay, that's dope. Like it's not so much, um, I don't know, calling it yada, yada estate anymore. Like that to me is kind of outdated. Yeah. So we're, we're looking for something innovative and progressive and transparent. And a big part of that is showing who you are mm-hmm. on social media. 100%. I agree. Uh, and I'm curious, this being transparent about the the organizations that a company or a brand donates to, how, I guess, I'm, I'm not sure how to phrase this question, but how... I guess how would a brand share that they're uh you know donating to say Black Lives Matter or they're donating to um you know say the the scholarship fund at Cal Poly how would they how would they share that information without it seeming like they're pandering yeah, like inauthentic you know yeah exactly totally and I've had this conversation with um a group here in the central coast too. who was mm-hmm. just like, well, we're looking to be more inclusive with like who we're models that we're hiring for mm-hmm. content. Yeah. Um, but we don't want it to just come off as like now random look at like our history. And if you're looking at like whatever's on our feed currently, there's not a lot of color. Yeah. So now is it like we're trying too hard to seem relevant? I think it, it can and it can't come off that way. This is not a lose-lose situation, though. I think intentions are very easily shown through. You're making an effort, and that means so much. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's the point. That's what we want to see, that it is something that you believe in and that it's not coming off as just a trend to you. Yeah. So it goes beyond posting on social media. Like, social media, yes, it does drive. Um, an incredible amount of sales in our current times, but 
it's also like, it can come off as inauthentic if that's the only thing that you're doing. Yeah. So what else are you doing to improve your company culture? Have you really had like any introspection about what the atmosphere is like at your company um, within this organization? Do you have people of color on your staff? And if not, why not? Um, The Central Coast, while I believe the percentage is somewhere around 6% Black folk live here Mm -hmm. um, and an even lesser percent of Indigenous who are still currently in the Central Coast. Mm -hmm. We do have a large Latinx community as well that Mm -hmm. go beyond farm workers. Bodega de Edgar, um, Edgar Torres, he wrote this incredible outpouring piece for Wine Mag, Mm -hmm. talking about how he never really saw himself as a role model until like last year, you know, people started telling him like, you need to show other people who look like you that they're capable of being winemakers as well. And they're not just cellar hands and they're not just vineyard workers that they can aspire to own their own company like you do. And he never recognized like the importance of that until it was like brought to his attention. So, um, I mean, that being said too, it's just, I think authenticity comes across very organically. Like your intentions will show if that's really, if it's true. Yeah. Um, Which sounds very simple, but I really (laughs) do like, I really do believe that. And kudos to you for trying to hire more people to be in your pictures who are people of color and mm-hmm. not just like perhaps taking the easy route and whoever your staff is at the time, like actively trying to diversify who are a part of representing your company. Yeah. Um, but also how are you trying to create change? Like I've recently been, um, I picked some blind wines for these two winemakers in the Central Coast, Eric Johnson mm-hmm. um, from Ann Albert and Kobe from El Lugar. And they talked about the scholarship program and they both went to Cal Poly and they talked about how white Cal Poly is as a school um, and how necessary this program is. So both of them very outspoken. Um, they're rad dudes and like just being able to promote the scholarship program as necessary in the central coast because the lack of diversity in our industry was a big deal, especially because so many people look up to them here and a lot of aspiring winemakers. So I think it's a good step forward. Absolutely. Um, but being genuine, it's just, it, it, it does so much more than I think people realize. People are really afraid to show themselves like on social media too yeah. because we feel like we need to be very clean and perfect and present I, essentially like uh, this flawless facade. Like look at all these pretty things. It's fun. It's light and it's blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But the people that I've found the most endearing on social media are – the people who are real and the wineries like this is something that I also did in preparation for this this podcast was to find examples you know so that people can see and be like okay this is what this winery is doing great how are how are they coming off okay they're being they're they're finding success with this maybe that's something I can replicate so I mean Jennifer from Raft is incredible she posts Mm -hmm. about 
voting. She posts about wearing masks. She posts about Black Lives Matter and anti-racism. That's consistent in her feed, and she's been very successful with it. Um, but it's also it, like that's who she is. Yeah. And it comes across very authentically because it is. And yeah. Whitcraft Wines, Drake Whitcraft, mm-hmm. natural winemaker, little eccentric, uh, <laughs> super opinionated. And yeah. his wines are incredibly successful. Absolutely. Uh, he has a cult following. And he says exactly what's on his mind. He's constantly talking about people wearing masks and um, how we need to like move forward as a country and mentioning like anti-racism. And it just, it's very like, it was good to see that kind of outspokenness at a time when people were still trying to be very reserved about what their quote unquote political stance was. So, I mean, those two for people who are in the central coast, but black women like stay doing the work. I mean, Mm -hmm. Krista Scruggs, she puts like her whole heart out there. She's making natural wines in Vermont, which is already like unheard of. Um, and for like a small business and a small winery to have that kind of like vulnerability and bravery to put exactly like what's right. I mean, it's not even about this is like her personal feelings on the matter. This is like you need to vote so we can see systemic change because this is we are being wronged. Black people in this country are being wronged. This is yeah. just this is a human rights issue. Um, and if we're just talking representation, like Domestique it yeah. is a retail wine shop in Washington, D.C. They have an incredible psalm who works there um, and talks about an array of wines, but mostly natural. Um, Domestique also created a scholarship called Major Tom's. Mm-hmm. Um, I it up for you so you can see what it entailed yeah. but essentially it was offering a person of color this scholarship to learn what it's like to run a business a retail wine shop and they paid for housing and gave them a stipend for food and travel and it was just like that is actually doing the work like that is real yes. action that's giving someone an opportunity to succeed so wrapping all of this back up <laughs> uh, to see like immediate impact in our community, that's really, that was the point of the scholarship program that, I mean, I've talked to you so much about this program at this point mm-hmm. in time, um, but it was almost like providing something for wineries so that they couldn't say there's nothing, like, so that you can't say we don't know what to do. Okay. A lot of you went to this school. A lot of you went to El Poly in San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. You know exactly that school's history, a reputation that's kind of been around that school, and the majority of its demographic is a white. So yeah. being able to implement a scholarship program like this that is specifically for enology and viticulture, that is immediate impact. That's showing that you care. And there's been um, some really incredible responses from wineries in North County donating like upwards of $25,000 so that... Yeah can be able to renew the scholarship and practice their degree and be able to participate in the wine industry in this area that is very much um, coming into its own. And it's exciting to be here. So we all deserve to be a part of that. 100%. 
here, here. You're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and um, I'm going to put all of this information in the show notes. So if you are looking to donate to either of those scholarships, uh, we will have some links in the show notes where you can donate money um, or at least, you know, share the links so that we can blast this out as, as far as possible because uh, I think that's the other the other side of it is, you know, sometimes people don't, not wineries, but <laughs> people don't have um, maybe the immediate funds to share, but uh, sharing it with people who do, that is going to help go a long way. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So thanks for mentioning the both of those. Um, I didn't know about the scholarship fund with Domestique. Mm-hmm. So that's really wonderful. Now uh, we have a West Coast and an East Coast. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Bringing it all together. That's wonderful. It's and yeah, again, that's it's so it's so important. It's so important. I just speaking, you know, of course as a white woman, my path to through the wine industry wasn't nearly as difficult as it is for people of color. And but, you know, having I can't tell you how impactful it was for me. Anytime I would come across a woman winemaker or a woman in leadership within the wine industry, it meant so much to me to have that representation. Oh my God, yeah. And so it's, I mean, yeah, like I, you know, the the three wineries that I worked for were led by men and had men, male winemakers, who are all wonderful, by the way, just wonderful wonderful companies and um I love them very much but I never saw myself being a lead winemaker or leading a company because I had never seen it done by a woman and then you know I came back to the central coast and uh, we have this wonderful group here called women and wine on the central coast mm-hmm. and it was uh finally it's uh founded by our friend McKenna uh oh. and who's awesome by the way and being able to connect with these women that was really important for me and really impactful for me and being able to see all of these women who not only are like lead winemakers for what um, amazing wineries that I love dearly but also women who are you know CEOs mm-hmm. again just so important to have that representation so any way that we can expand that representation to black people, black women, people of color, I think would be so impactful and just so great. So I I hope that we can at least with the, this episode do our part to to spread the good word and um and get more representation. Yeah. And not, you know, and and not just speaking about race and gender, but also speaking about, you know, identity in general. So, you know, wanting to see more representation from the LGBTQ plus community, I think is also incredibly important. So yeah. Oh my gosh. So many things. So many things. Yeah. It's so true. And still like a part of the conversation last year was addressing um, the racial disparity in our industry, but that's a complete, like speaking about LGBTQIA in this industry, like I, I, I think maybe I've seen one or two like 
hosted conversations about it. That is still very quiet in this industry. So we legitimately need to to just blow that shit open. Um, And obviously it's easier said than done, but it starts like us talking about it now and addressing it. That's Exactly. exactly how this all started last year and how we've seen progress in the past year. Like I believe that I, I feel like sometimes I can be a little naive, um, but I do believe that I've seen progress. And the Women Winemakers Group for myself is how I was really introduced to um, McKenna. And then it also furthered our relationship and mm-hmm. my friend Sonia and uh, my friend Justin is now a part of it as well. And it's yes. just like, it's built such a community. and. I, for myself, I know it was necessary here because I was ready to leave the central coast. So I'm having a community. This is something that I've preached anywhere that I've been management is just so it's, it's imperative. Like Mm -hmm. that is your foundation and you build from there. So hundred percent love that group and (laughs) women in that group too. Yeah. Laura from, um, Sanford and Lou Bud as well, Mm -hmm. like such incredible people and have really, um, for one supported sharing and spreading the word about the scholarship program as well, which I'm very grateful for. Yes. Um, and also donated to the fundraiser that Justin and I started for race matters slow and helped us to reach that goal. So yes, we raised nearly $15,000 last year. And a lot of it was because of our friends and community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I I love that group. It's become a bit of a a f- brain trust, and uh, I you know I I love being able to have that as a resource. So totally, yeah. Any any way we can blast that? We got a little off topic here, not really, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it all like it does come back to a millennials. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I mean, I think that. Uh, you know, millennials, wine, and social justice are all very much wrapped up with one another. It's not – you can't really have one without the other. And I think that's a – yeah. <laughs> yeah, we really just can't have, have any of them without without the other because they're so intertwined of uh, and all that. Absolutely. Um, so it, like, it hurts to see when people say that, like, their feeds aren't meant to be political. Like this industry that we're in is so rooted in tradition, mm-hmm. um, tradition beyond American tradition, but also things that we've curated here that it's, I, I'm not sure how I want to say this, but um, it's, there is tradition in the wine industry and uh a large part of that tradition looks like old white males. Yeah. So this is just the future. I mean, if you're talking about where we are currently in 2020, we're the most diverse population this country and this world have ever seen. Yeah. We're really talking about buying with our beliefs. That's Mm -hmm. where our dollars go is we want to invest in social change. We want to invest in, in something that means something, you know, it's not just like 
this bottle has that reputation and I want that in my cellar for like bragging rights. No, I want to share this bottle because they pay their workers above minimum wage. They pay them a living wage so that they can support their families too and create a life out of this industry as well. Like they, they practice sustainable farming methods so that this land can be healthy and live on for generations beyond them and be real stewards. Like that's who we are as a generation. And I'm incredibly proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point of, you know, we're wanting to create a connection and wanting to share, share bottles that light us up. You know, there's a, there's a new social media app called Clubhouse. Hmm which is wonderful um by the way i've 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 only recent oh it's fabulous it's all voice vo- voice messaging so as someone who's podcasting now it it really um it's really hitting hitting all my buttons i like it <laughs> um <laughs> but uh you know there's what's really beautiful is i've recently discovered there is a pretty large wine community on this app and it's so fun. Um, yeah, I'll have to get you on it. Simon. it's amazing. Yes, please. (laughs) And one of the cool things about it is, you know, I was in this room where the discussion was wine and I kind of right then and there, I made the decision that anytime I share a bottle, what I'm drinking on this, this app, when someone asks, Oh, Heather, what are you drinking tonight? I've made the decision that I will only ever share wine from women or wine uh, wine brands that are upholding the values that I hold dear, you know, so representation, diversity, and sustainability. And, um, and it was kind of a fun, like, you know, hitting me square between the eyes, that realization of that is probably one of the most millennial things I've ever done <laughs> yeah. is make that, is make that decision to, to only, only share those bottles because I want to spread the good word out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what I, what I'm, what I'd like to kind of pivot to in this conversation, not really pivot, but, um, talk a little bit more deeply about is within that, that frame and within that article, that wine enthusiast article by Amber, there was, uh, a lot of really great points within it. But one of my favorite quotes was towards the very end where uh, Marcella Tompkins, I believe I'm saying her, I hope I'm saying their name right, uh, says, the first thing the wine industry needs to do is stop telling millennials and Gen Z what we want or why we're not buying wine. They need to start listening. Oh my God. And, and so I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that anyone who's listening to this podcast, uh, will listen to what we're saying here and, and put that into action. Um, so my question for you is what would you say to wineries who want to listen to millennials and Gen Z and reach more of them? What practical tips would you recommend on how to start listening to what millennials want and then how to implement what they're hearing? I'm really glad you asked this, actually. Um, Do you all have any millennials on your team? Excellent. Well, (laughs) the likelihood is that you do. So ask a millennial. Like, hear it firsthand. 
we are we are everywhere in this industry and undoubtedly the best person to get advice from is someone who can show you like how they buy, where they buy, and they can give you examples of things to do because they work for you, Mm -hmm. with you. Maybe you work for them. I don't know. But that is the first thing that I would say. It's And it's always like, it's something that I think gets bypassed a lot is you want to know, it's the same thing people have asked me how to specifically market to people of color. Mm -hmm. You're asking a person of color, sure. But how about like, ask someone who works within your organization, that is something easy to attention. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have someone, okay, great. You can come to me. (laughs) Um, But you also have to be willing to pay someone for their expertise and their advice. I -hmm. by no means am a marketing professional. So I am happy to point, I can attach names of people who are people of color as well, who do this for a living. So if you're looking for a consultant, by all means, they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing I would say is really evaluate your online presence. Um, Especially after the year that we had 2020, Mm -hmm. like, Projections for internet sales were already supposed to skyrocket. That is how millennials buy. So last year was like the reckoning in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So your virtual presence is is so necessary. So I would look at investing more into like a user-friendly website and hire someone like Heather to evaluate your social media, someone who studies this like for a living, if you are very concerned about marketing to the next generation, look at people who are actively attentioning it right now. And Heather, like you Mm -hmm. do such an incredible job of making it so just like, I mean, it's practical, but it's also like you've, you, you lay it out very easily to understand. So it's not intimidating for people of an older generation either to be like, okay, X, Y, and Z, you know, it's, um, it can be very simple. It doesn't have to be intimidating. Um, but thirdly as well, you have to be, this is probably the most important. You have to remove any kind of like ego thinking that what you're currently doing, if it is not to like what to what's important to these next generations. If you want to continue on branding the way that you have for your organization, by all means, like that is your choice, but you're only going to attract a specific market. So if you are genuinely looking to expand, you have to be able to relieve a little bit of that ego and open up to what the next generation is really looking for when looking for products and um, well, in this case, what they're looking for in wine brands. You don't, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm nodding my head vigorously. <laughs> that entire, <laughs> I'm like, yep, yep. And I mean, yeah, was it, is it Einstein who said that, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is, 
the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I think that goes back to our, you know, our earlier conversation about, you know, this, this person at Batonage Forum saying that millennials are ruining the wine industry. I think that was one of the more insane things to say, because if, if you're expecting, if you want to grow, you need to change. And, um, and we need to, I think change is maybe the, the word of the year, right? Absolutely. At least the word of, of 2020 is uh, um, change and reckoning, I think is also a great, a great word for, for 2020. For sure. So <laughs> yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, wow, I think we, we covered the gamut here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we also, full disclosure, Heather and I have had a couple conversations over the past week that have gone on for easily like an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> um, yeah. So this podcast could have taken like multiple turns and I'm very proud <laughs> of us for like, pretty much staying to what we said we were going to talk about. Yeah. For the most part, the tangents were like kept to a minimum. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm incredibly proud. I know it's, I, I like half wish that we had recorded part of our, our conversation before this podcast. Uh, cause it, it was wonderful. It was a really, I mean, I always love having conversations with you, Saman, cause I feel like I, I'm always reached deep down inside my soul when I talk with you and learn so much about myself and about you. And I feel like every conversation we have is um, so full of golden nuggets. Oh my gosh. It's just (laughs) golden nuggets. Um, Yeah. And even if like our, uh, when we were talking about like therapy, yeah, that whole conversation, it's just, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Like with millennials, we are the most Mm -hmm. aware that we need help and we want to relate to people. And you and I might've had different experiences growing up and, um, where we were and how our families are, but Mm -hmm. it's, we find community in each other because there's a lot of similarities in our differences, but, and speaking to like, Speaking about like our parents' generation is something that we talk about really often and mm-hmm. how we've come so far from what was expected of our mothers. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. It's just it's so absolutely wild to think about that. Yeah. I mean, here we are. We're both we've well, you've been doing it. You started your own business. I <laughs> got to start my own business last year. Yes. My mother at my age had two kids already and was moving country. Yeah. Like just, wow. And kids are like, they're not even in my vision for the next few years, if ever, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, there's so many, there's so many different factors and our, our, I don't care what Gen X and baby boomers say about millennials. (laughs) We have changed this world for the better and Mm -hmm. they're a little frightening how fearless they are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I know, but it's it's insane. This is like this is the radical change that that last year really brought mainstream. Yeah, um, and it's crazy that it's called radical, but it is. Yeah, yeah. I I have nothing else to add to that. I think you said it so perfectly. Uh, I mean, you mentioned it briefly, so. 
but can you tell us a little bit more about the business that you created last year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you teased it so enticingly. Uh, a, little, <laughs> a little dabble. Um, so my boyfriend and I started our, we made our first wine last year. Yay. Very exciting. And, you know, we've been talking about it since we met really, like what would be the bridal that we we start with. And both of us like wanted to make Syrah for different reasons. Um, but we also had no intention of making a natural wine. And lo and behold, um, 2020 had us pivot in that area too. So yeah. our wine was made naturally. Um, and it will be available in 2022. We are, we can't release the name yet, but as soon as we get an okay, then, I mean, I'll have Heather drop it like everywhere. Yes. Like, oh, everywhere. Yeah. Um, yes. I will blast you to the world. <laughs> <laughs> I also, Justin and I, um, besides the BIPOC scholarship program at Cal Poly, we're working on, um, another project with a few friends in Los Angeles and a winery in um, Santa Maria here Mm -hmm. on the central coast. And it's basically the idea is we have a wine club and all of the proceeds will go towards for one, the first allocation will go towards the BIPOC scholarship program at Cal Poly. Yes. And then moving forward, we'll be contributing to different organizations that encourage black education in the wine industry. So there are there are a lot of really incredible um nonprofits that popped up last year. So it'll be great to be able to contribute to these programs so that they can live on as well and that we can be a little part of them living on um for the next generation. Yeah. I love that. So keep an eye. Yes. Keep an eye out, everyone. Uh, Is there anything else that you want to plug? Anything else you want to share with the world right now? Just keep an eye for specifically this project because that will be coming the soonest. Um, If you want to learn more about the scholarship program as well, there's a link in my bio that will tell you how to contribute if you'd like. There's a link for you to share. and um, it's available for this upcoming fall semester at Cal Poly. So you'll get to see it in action this year and it'll be able to provide a full ride for a student um, starting fall 2021. Yes, that's wonderful. Um, again, everyone, that is going to be in the show notes for this episode. Uh, and I do want to give a very strong call to action here that. Uh, if you can donate to the Cal Poly scholarship, please do. Um, every every dollar counts. There's no donation is too small. But if you are not in a place where you can donate mo- money, uh, then please share this episode. Share that link to the scholarship um, on your social media profiles. Uh, and uh, if you are a winery, uh, be sure to include some kind of uh, call to action as well to donate to this program because this is so important and I really want to see I want to see this blasted for the world to see because it's it's so it's going to change the world it really is it's going to change the wine world at least 
and our wine world, the Central Coast. Yes. Also, if there are any additional questions about the scholarship program that perhaps are not listed on the California Foundation page, you can email me um, Mm -hmm. and I'll have, or I will graciously ask Heather to include my email um, in the notes for this podcast as well. I'm happy to answer anything that I can and talk to you more about the program at Cal Poly and um, working together if that's something that a winery would like to do, of course, that's an option as well. Yes, 100%. I will, I'll include all of um, Simon's contact information in the show notes. Um, and finally, where can we find you via social media, uh, wherever? Where can we keep up with you? Keeping up with Simon um, pretty much entails Instagram. Um, Instagram is like my one form that I... I probably check too much. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. <laughs> so uh, my handle is at Simon, S-I-M-O-N-N-E, and so forth. Perfect. We will put that, again, we'll put that all in the show notes. So you will be able to find Simon very easily and follow her and just keep up with all the incredible things that she is doing. I am so fucking proud of you. I can't even... I can't even. <laughs> uh, I'm proud of you. And oh. especially like shout out to Heather for starting this podcast. Um, and she has more coming in the future too that I'm so excited to to learn more from you. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> <Duh>. so <fun>. Huzzah. <laughs> So I feel that the I mean speaking of millennial things, it's like taking compliments is so hard. It's so hard. Oh my gosh, I'm like cringing behind this computer, even when no one can see me. I'm like, eh. <laughs> like thank you so much. <laughs> That's incredibly yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. All right. Well, I'm gonna wrap this up. And thank you so much, Simon. I love you so much. I'm so happy that to have you in my life. I love you too, girl. Thank you for thinking of me for this. And it's such an important conversation, you know, like this is, it's so relevant to right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's an important thing for people in our business and industries of other natures too, to be discussing. So thank you for um, wanting to talk about it. Always, always, always any excuse to talk with you, but this is a, a <laughs> an important conversation to have. So I'm glad it could be with you. Me too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for episode six of the Craft and Cluster podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all of the resources mentioned in this episode and to connect with Simon, who I know you are going to love following on Instagram. If you found this episode super valuable, be sure to rate and review it and spread the love by screenshotting, sharing, and tagging at craft and cluster on Instagram. And to make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. I'll see you next Monday. Bye. Hey there, you just listened to the Craft and Cluster podcast, a production of Craft and Cluster owned exclusively by me, Heather Danitz. The opinions and statements in this show are those of me and any guests that appeared on the Craft and Cluster podcast and are for entertainment purposes only. I cannot guarantee any particular result or return on investment based on any statement from this show. 
But what I can guarantee is my extreme psychitude that you are still listening to this, even though the episode has ended and this is clearly a disclaimer. You are super dedicated. I like that about you.